Well, you see the observance of the Lord's Supper set before you this morning. And so I wanted to do something that would tie that together with the new year. And there's a parable. You know I love parables. There's a parable about two boys that made promises. We've all made a lot of uh, New Year's resolutions. Um, I made some bold resolutions last week and shared them with you about dieting and exercise and doing the Daniel plan here at church. And I'm, I'm pleased to say, so far, so good. The plan starts this coming Wednesday. <laughs> and we'll just have to see how it goes from there. But uh, Walking the Talk is the title of the meditation for the Lord's Supper this morning, Matthew 21, verses 28 through 32. I'm going to back up at verse 23 and just give you a, a running start and, and give you the context of what Jesus is addressing when he teaches this parable. I wonder, when Jesus told a parable, had he been thinking about it and was just waiting for the right time to say it, or did it just come up on the spur of the... It's, they're brilliant. Every one of them is just so profound, and whether he thought about it in advance or it was just extemporaneous, either way, is, it's just the, the marvelous teaching method that Jesus had. Matthew 21, I'm going to start with verse 23. This is that he entered the temple. The chief priest and elders of the people came up and as he was teaching said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? The day before, Jesus had cleansed the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers. So they wanted to know, by what authority are you doing this? And Jesus said, I also will ask you a question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it, from heaven or from men? And they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, he'll say, then why did you not believe him? If we say from men, we are afraid of the multitude, for all hold that John was a prophet. And so they answered Jesus, as most people usually do when he asks a question, I, we do not know. He said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And now the parable he launches in. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first, some translations say the eldest, and said to him, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he said, I will not. But afterward, he repented and went. He went to the second and said the same. And he said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said the first. Because he's the one who said, I will not, but he did. And Jesus asked which one did the will. So the, the first one who, who did the will. Jesus said, truly I say to you, tax collectors and harlots, go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and the harlots believed him. Even when you saw it, you did not afterward repent and believe him. So, walking the talk, practicing the profession, making sure what we do agrees with what we say. Let's bow together. Father, it's so easy to make promises at the beginning of the year and say all these things, these wonderful things we're going to do and all the horrible things we're going to stop doing. And yet living up to those promises and being true to those vows and resolutions means something entirely different. And so help us, Lord, not just saying all the right things. 
Help us also do the right things that please you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we determined at the beginning of the year that we're going to watch our diet. We're going to cut down on sweets and starches and carbohydrates and we're going to get more exercise and we're going to start studying more and be kinder to others and reconcile with those that we've been at odds with. We're going to have a better attitude toward our school teacher or our boss or our coach or someone in authority over us. And so it seems appropriate to consider this parable of Jesus which had to do with promises, both of them unkept. As the new year gets underway, here's the setting. Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem yesterday. All the triumph of, in, the, in the palm and circumstance of Palm Sunday, the crowds are cheering, the disciples are delighted, his enemies are in despair. The disciples' plans are going great and all their hopes for power are about to be realized Things are just rolling along very well. But then Jesus does something totally unexpected. He goes into the temple and cleanses it of its coin changers and merchants, which are selling the sacrificial birds and animals. It had gotten so out of hand that Jesus called it a robber's den. Well, as you might have expected, the religious establishment was outraged. After all, the high priest himself had... Um, established this and authorized the selling of temple coinage. When you brought a coin into the temple, you couldn't use a shekel because it had the image of Caesar on it, a graven image. And so those in the temple said, you want to buy a pigeon or a, a dove or a goat to sacrifice, you're going to have to use temple coinage. We'll exchange it for you two for one. Or so It'd be like me saying, no, I'm sorry, you can't use cash in the offering plate. It says the United States of America on your dollar bill and we believe in the separation of church and state and we're going to have to exchange those, that cash for First Baptist coins and uh, I'll do that in my office. Two for one. You can see how the religious establishment had, had such a game going and Jesus literally turned the apple cart upside down. He left the temple that evening with the religious officials standing there fuming. Too dumbfounded, I guess, to stop him because this machine had been running smoothly for so long and the, and the temple priest, incidentally, was getting a cut of the action. You can imagine how upset he was. It was like a hit and run and Jesus went outside the Jerusalem, the city, for a few miles to sleep in Bethany. The next day, he dared to return to the scene of the crime. He came back into the temple, and this time the religious leaders were lying in wait for him. They demanded to know, by what authority did he dare do such things? And Jesus answered their question with a question. You tell me, by what authority did John the Baptist preach? By man's or by God's. And this is a no-win situation for the religious leaders because no matter how they answer, it's going to be the wrong answer. If they say by man's authority, then all the people will be up in arms because John the Baptist was immensely popular with the people and he was seen as a prophet from God. But if they say that John was indeed sent by God and preached under God's authority, then Jesus could say, 
could ask them why they neither believed nor repented and followed John's message. And so Jesus turned the tables and his enemies were on the horns of a dilemma. They could give no answer. And before they could, Jesus launches into this parable and its meaning is clear. A certain man has two sons. The first one, he says, go into my vineyard and go to work. He says, no, but he goes. He goes to a second son. You go into my vineyard and work. He said, okay, but he doesn't. Which one did the will of his father? I wish there were a third son <laughs> that said, yes, father, I will go, and then actually did what he said he would do. But there wasn't. And so the father represents God and the two boys represent us. And let's start with the second son first. He said, yes, sir, I will go. You want me to go work in the vineyard? I'm rolling up my sleeves right now. You can count on me. He said he would go, but he didn't. He represented all the religious leaders of the day because those were the ones that gave every appearance of saying yes to God, of giving all the lip service. But in their hearts, they were as disobedient and distant and estranged from God as they could possibly be. I might add this second son also represents you and me. People who come to church and who make a sound profession, who talk a good talk, who boast of our faith, who have all the proper credentials, but whose practice falls far short of what is asked and promised. But now the first son, maybe the older one, he said, no, I won't go. But then he thought better of it and repented and became obedient and did as he was asked. And this older son, he represents all those religious outcasts who have gone too far to ever be accepted inside the church. And Jesus symbolized this group with tax collectors and harlots. They were the social and religious outcasts of their day. They're the ones who said, no, not me. I'm not going to do those religious things. But this younger son's conscience was more active than the first one. Or, or the, the older son is more active than the younger, and so he later repented and went out and worked in the vineyard. And so Jesus then asked, which son actually did the will of his father? It was obviously the son who said he wouldn't go, but he did. He did anyway. At least he got closer to God's will than the second son who said he would, but didn't. And then Jesus concluded the parable by saying, that's why tax collectors and harlots were going to enter the kingdom of God before you religious folks. And they were offended. Notice Jesus didn't really commend either son. The second boy was wrong to promise he would go and then not go. The first was wrong to say he wasn't going, even though he later went. And so neither did what he said he would do, and that sounds like hypocrites, doesn't it? Makes me think of hypocrites. And we all dislike hypocrites. Someone who pretends to be something that they're not. Someone who promises something and says something but then does 
something else. And incidentally, that's the number one reason people give for not coming to church. They say the church is full of hypocrites. And when I heard that, I used to say, well, that's true, but we still have room for one more. And that was kind of tongue-in-cheek, and I don't think it went over real well, and I don't think anybody ever came after I said that. <laughs> and so yesterday, I was talking with the Kofer family, and we got to talk with Mary's funeral, and we got to talking about hypocrites in the church, and they told me something that Mary used to say about hypocrites. Whenever someone said the church is full of hypocrites, Mary would say, and don't you think that's a good place for them to be? And let's remember, though, that they're also the older brothers who are hypocrites too. Those who are outside the church. Those who say they won't go, but then think better of it. They act hard-boiled and irreligious. And all the while, they have a big heart and live a good life and do all kinds of good things. And many of, many of those, and some watching by television right now, respect religion, but lack the courage to profess their faith publicly and then live that faith consistently. So they pretend to be worse than they really are, and that's hypocritical too, isn't it? They ought to come out for Jesus and repent and give themselves to doing the will of the Father. And that would mean a change of life. And we in the church need to lead a more obedient life ourselves because this is the whole point of the parable. Talk alone is cheap. Promises without performance, words without deeds to back them up mean nothing. It will not cut it in the kingdom of God, so says Jesus, right here in the parable. There's no substitute for promising to work in God's vineyard and then going out and doing it. That is the obedient life. You know, sometimes we think it might be nice to meet Jesus in the flesh. And it would be wonderful, but it would also be frightening, wouldn't it? Suppose he were here right now and he were to ask you if you were living an obedient life. If you were taking him and his teachings seriously. If you were striving to live by the ethic of Christ's love in all of your actions. You know he asked us to believe in him, but he's also asked us to serve him, to work for him. And he said, incidentally, he said our deeds would demonstrate how much we love him. You know, in the Middle Ages, we, we sang a song, um, Gary, for the Lord's Supper that talked about the king and serving the king. In the Middle Ages, the knights of the round table would bicker and compete for the most difficult task by which they could prove their devotion to their king. And so I have to wonder, how, quick, how quickly are we willing to prove our love for our king? Do we compete for the most difficult task or the easiest? This parable contains a warning and a promise it warns that despite all of our promises, our professions of faith, if we fail to perform, we may find ourselves on a waiting list to get into the kingdom of heaven. But there's also a promise 
that if we still repent and do the Father's will, we will be forgiven and accepted. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, it's not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, who will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on the last day, what is it God will say? Well said, my good and faithful servant. Well thought, my good and faithful servant. What is it? Well done, my good and faithful servant. It seems like Jesus is always placing an emphasis on our actions in addition to our words. And so loving God is something we do. And I can think of no more important message for us from God around this table this morning at the beginning of a new year to make new vows and promises and resolutions to God and then do what we say. Keeping promises in the new year and throughout our lives. Let's bow together. Father, as we come to receive these precious elements, they symbolize not only a promise that you made to us, but a promise that you kept to forgive and cleanse and offer newness of life, something that we need here at the beginning of 2016. And we make promises too, but we aren't as faithful in keeping them. And so help us resolve not just to lose weight and exercise, but to love you more deeply and to serve you more faithfully and to tell others about you. And then to do it. In your name we pray. Amen.